Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast. Today I'm here with Kristen Hawk and he is a referred to as the Exit Angel. He's a business development and strategy consultant. I'm looking forward to, to learning from you today. Kristen, thank you for being on the show. Yes, Ron. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be on your show. So where are you located right now? You're on the other side of the big pond, we call it. Yeah, well, I'm in Germany, actually. I'm working from here, but my clients are all over the world. So yeah, thanks wow. to all the technology. So you're in Germany. I'm sitting in a redwood forest of Northern California in front of some giant redwood cheese, and we can do this show. That's a sign of modern times. It's really cool. So let's jump right in. Like I do this with all the guests. Everybody listens to the show. They know where I'm going next. It's your origin story. How did you get started? I jokingly always ask, you were born and now you ended up on a show about mergers and acquisitions. Could you fill out the gap in between? But the goal here is just to kind of share your story and how you, how you got into this space. Yeah. So I will skip the school education thing and <laughs> get right off onto the business. So I was working as a consultant for big companies. I consulted the top 500 companies in Germany as well, always in the field of process optimization, process excellence, and all these things. And I worked with companies who were ready to merge, who were ready to take investments from big investors. And we just kind of structured all the organization, all the processes, streamlined them, automated them to be really a good fit for investors to plug and profit, to scale by the first day and de-risking all the investments that that were taking into the business. But I was working, it was really successful. But one day my little daughter showed up and said, Daddy, why are you working so much and, and so hard? And I think I want to earn money. I want to provide a good life for you and the whole family. But at that night I realized, yes, I'm working a lot and providing a lot. But what happens when I'm not working? I will not earn money. What happens when I stop working? So I have nothing I could inherit beside a dad that is always working. And so I said, I need to create something that will be there for the kids as well. And so I started to think about building some assets that could be sold. Yeah, I wrote a book about it. It's called Sell Your Business for More. It's about to be published this year. And yeah, I will share my experiences there because if you see the statistics, so many businesses are closed for good because the business owner are not able to sell. And so I said, I need to help them with all the knowledge I gained over the two decades. I'm in the consulting business right now. And this is how I started to first create kind of a consulting framework, which I can yeah, reuse over and over again. I really put all my knowledge into it. And then I developed also a platform to give it access to, to all the business owners out there. 
well, I want to commend you for writing a book. I've got a project going right now where we're finishing up one. And it's very short. Ours is very short. It's just about building rapport and, and doing business deals, how important it is, exercises to to learn how to build rapport faster and that type of stuff. But just the sheer amount of work it takes to to start one, get it all through there, send it through the editors and all that stuff to get it done. That's a lot of work. My book is about how to prepare and position your business. Cool. Even if you don't think about selling right now, but you can implement so much things, avoid the deal breakers when it comes to selling or even investing. So you can build it from the beginning to become a really good fit for investors. So in the notes that I have about the show today, it mentioned escaping the entrepreneur triangle. What is that and what is it? What is it to escape the entrepreneur triangle? So for me, the entrepreneur triangle is, it's kind of also a dilemma. You have the money, the effort and the time. It's like a triangle with all these three edges and then you can say if i want to climb up within this triangle to the top because all the coaches will help you to become the number one expert in your field to become the number one in revenue number one in sales whatsoever so this will be the top of this triangle but you need to invest time money or um, uh, a lot of effort and when you're stuck in the middle of this triangle you either need to invest more time but it's limited to 24 hours a day you need to invest more cash which is maybe also limited or you need to more effort and then this is when people are burning out because they try to reach the top and couldn't progress or even if they know i couldn't do more or my business can do more they also burn out because they are working under the possibilities and this is the triangle and i have to escape them because at the, when you are at the top when you're at the top percent what's next yeah, like nothing, right? You, to, you, yeah, gotta... you have always to, to hustle to stay there. You always have to invest to, to pay more for the ads to get more clients because maybe your organization grows. You need to make more money, but then you need to invest more money, make more clients. So you always have to hustle. You're not always kind of a goal. You reached something. It's through the throughout the business scope of things, right? It, that happens a lot. If you think about marketing and advertising, for instance, Everybody figured out they could get really great returns on investment for Facebook ads a long time ago. You could do $5 a day and just get like a huge return. Then as more and more and more people figure that out, the space for those ads diminishes. Facebook starts charging more for them. And now it's it's just not as nearly as profitable or as effective. And the current one of that's going through that cycle. Everybody's just figuring out you could get a lot of traffic and a lot of interest is TikTok ads, right? But I see people just flock into it right now. And eventually there'll be not enough space for all of them. The bidding will go up and it'll become less effective and they'll be on to the next one. So that's that same triangle is you go out there, you work hard, you find something that really works. And then eventually it fades and you have to find it's repetitive. You have to run through the cycle and figure out what's working now, right? And to escape this triangle, I always say the success at the top is not owned, it's rented because you always have to work for it. And there are so many things out in the field disrupting the market again, as you said, they all figured it out, this kind of secret. And then you have to find something new. And this always endangers the financial freedom that you build. And what I help the people with is through an ultimate payday at the end to really monetize what you achieved so far. You will turn the triangle upside down and then the outcome is unlimited. And so with the money that you get out of this exit of this ultimate payday, you can do so much more things. Once money is not an issue anymore, you will have an 
unlimited creativity to like look at the super rich people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. They're not thinking about how do I get the next client? They're thinking about going to Mars and to the universe and so on, living in a total different universe. Absolutely. So uh, inside of that same space, if you look at you know, turning it upside down and growing into exponential, you're talking about selling the business or you, I mean, part of that also could be along that path. Do you show people how to acquire something to grow it, to scale it and to sell it all as one package or, or is it just focused on the... Yeah. So what I do first with my clients is to define where do they want to grow? So 10% more, it's not a growth strategy, KPI of the growth. And so I say, to have this mind shift, not to say, what can I do for the business? I ask the people, what can the business do for you? What's your life goal? What do you want to achieve? Do you want to work until you die? No, probably not. So what's your kind of end goal for you? the life you want to live. And then we design the business to help you achieve that. If you need a business and you need a business exit of 100 million, you cannot earn this adding a client time by time. No, you need to have acquisitions. But acquisitions without this end goal doesn't make any sense because then they are useless. You maybe buy something because it's kind of cheap and it will not help you create this asset and it will not help you build your business that it's the one that investors are looking for. So at this time, when you know how your business should look like, because it, it's this what investors are looking for, decisions are even easier because you say, oh, this will help me, this will not help me. So it's fine for me to just dump it because I don't need it. I'm sure I don't need it. So you, you get more clarity, you get more confidence to do the right decisions. And at the end, you have the certainty, I will reach my 100 million exit goal. So a 100 million exit goal, it's a fairly big goal for a lot of the a lot of the mom and pop companies out there, the brick and mortar companies, software companies seem to get the higher multiples and, and get there. For your markets and your clients, what is the revenue number that you would need to get them to typically? I know it depends on interest industry and multiple and stuff, but what's the revenue range you'd want somebody to be in if they were looking to do a hundred million dollar exit? I'm always calculating with a 10x exit because I always try to reach the benchmarks to talk to private equities. I have a lot of people in my network, private equity. For my book, I interviewed a lot of them because I wanted to know why do they buy? Why do they pay more? And this is what my framework is based upon to say, you, your business should not be a comparable commodity. If you provide, and when we are talking about real estate, what's the most critical thing buying a real estate? location right. yeah okay. doing the same with businesses it's leverage so always make sure we, we talked about chat gpt don't mm -hmm. invest in chat gpt even if it sounds or seems to be a very good investment vehicle invest in the companies that could leverage chat gpt like microsoft okay. and the same applies to your business you can reach maybe a level of 1 million 2 million in profit or 10 million but the higher your, your revenue should be to achieve the 100 million, the more stress it means to you. The more scary it is to see another VC-backed company in your field that will maybe disrupt your business model and then all the value that you build over the last 20 years will be gone in one year. So what I say is focus on a certain threshold to say when I reach this, even if I, I'm not eligible to approach 
private equities. I can always team up with other guys in the same area. So doing this roll-ups, there are a lot of courses as well um, teaching you how to do that. But then you have to de-risk the investment for the private equity. And if you provide enough leverage, um, I can explain it later, then they will be happy to buy and even pay more. And this was the second question in the interviews with the investors. Why do they pay more for certain businesses? I was involved last year, I guess it was almost a little longer than that ago, a little over a year ago in a, in a roll-up. And coming out of that, towards the end of it and coming out of it, I was interviewing some of the private equity guys. Didn't put them on the show is it because they didn't want to be. I was interviewing them because we needed to find out what they wanted. The thing that was interesting to me was, because we were doing a roll-up, it was a marketing agencies, and they wanted to see them working well together and fairly well integrated before they acquired the entire thing. And it might've just been, it was a very limited number. I probably talked to probably short of a dozen, just barely short, like 10 to 12. So maybe I got the wrong ones. I hit the wrong thing. But did you see that when you interviewed everybody for your book and stuff? Do they want, if in a roll-up situation and the company has been acquiring or merging with other companies, how well into the integration do they need to see it? Like they were telling us two to three years into integration before they would look at buying us, right? Yeah. So if, if you're doing a roll-up from growing up, you need to provide a two, three-year consecutive numbers how you run the business. But what I say, if you are the kind of leading company and you're acquiring below your company, if you see it as a picture, it could be also in a shorter time frame. But it will help the investors see, and this is very much important for them, your business is structured to implement or integrate acquisitions because they will do the same on an even larger scale. And if you are working for yourself, you have a self-developed software, you have all the structures, but your business is, is great. But they see it's not, I call it a plug and profit. I have a business, I want to plug it in, I want to have the profit without spending so much effort to integrate, to fix some problems and all these things. And the more I know how the investor is structured, how his company, his portfolio is structured, the more I can build my business to be a very good fit for that. So this is one of the first steps after knowing where you want to grow. I will do a perfect partner profiling, which means I will not approach a hundred investors just pitching my business. I don't like being rejected as well. So I have in my CRM all the reasons why they buy, what they are looking for. And then I can position the business I'm consulting directly in that way for what they are looking for. And therefore I say, if you know why they buy and why they pay more, you can build what they are looking for. And then, yeah, you also shorten the decision-making process because they see this deal is definitely thought through. They discovered maybe all the, the red flags, all the, the risk, the deal breakers. So it's easier for me to go inside, do maybe an even shorter due diligence and then decide to buy them. So I like that you're in that roll-up scenario you gave, you're setting your company up to prove to the PE firm that you're capable of both acquiring and, and integrating companies because that's exactly their model, right? If you're the big guy, if you're the, right, like sometimes I, the model you refer to, we sometimes call it a hub and spoke, you're the hub, you're the center and everything else plugs into you. Some people call it an anchor property the, the, the private equity buys an anchor and they're pl plugging everything into that anchor pro property. If you're that, and you have a proven track record of acquiring other companies, integrating them in, then you kind of show the, the PE firm that you're ready for them as opposed mm -hmm. to 
if you've never been acquired or never acquired anybody else and you go into them, they just know they have more work and have to build a team around that on their end. I like that concept. Do you see that they actually like that or is that something, I mean, the PE firms, that's what they do. They buy one property and then they go out and they buy other stuff, plug it in, grow it, scale it. That's how they achieve the hockey stick growth that they want to achieve. Are they interested in having a team local, like having the company being able to acquire? Again, that depends why they buy. So what I've seen is, for example, a company that acquired a big marketing agency, but not for the profit, not for the clients, because they say you're a great marketing company and you will only work for all the companies that I have in my portfolio. So it's a win-win situation because the marketing company doesn't have to care about winning new clients because they are provided by the investor itself. And he knows they would only focus on making my companies better. And they, they acquired not for the profit, not for anything, but, and then again, to leverage their knowledge to make all the other portfolio companies better. And this is what I say about, the, about leverage. The best, or there are very two, or two very important examples how leverage works or why they decide. If you see Google, Google has a big database, still the best. They acquire products and services, they can scale with their database. 80% of the profit and the revenue Google makes today is by acquired companies because they have the database, they acquire other things, they can scale and leverage, and then they make the profit. On the technological side, it's Apple. On average, Apple buys a new company every three weeks. And it's <laughs> not about revenue or something else. They are buying technology. They are buying experts. So if you, if you think about acquisitions and also if you want to sell, not only look on your numbers or whatsoever, then you are comparable, then you commodity. Because they say you have 10 employees making 4 million. The other one has eight, eight employees also does 4 million. So it seems that the other one is better or more profitable. But so you have to break through this first view of your business just by viewing the numbers. And then if you provide this leverage, if you can show them what they can achieve with your business or through your business, they are even more interested and in also say there are maybe some deal breakers, but we can neglect them because we make so much money with leverage, the good things that we don't care about the maybe bad things in your business. Let's circle back to, you mentioned growth strategies and where do you grow? Is there a process you run the business owners through to determine what's the best area for them to focus on growth or at least get started in growth? Yes, I do. So one of the outcomes of my interview and the, the book is I created this Mexit framework. Mexit stands for maximum exit. And I defined eight key value drivers, four areas with eight key value drivers that are important. You will find the deal breakers in these areas and you will find the deal makers in these areas. The good thing about that is normally when you ask a consulting company, help me prepare my business to exit, they will look at all details of your business. And I say that's definitely not necessary because when you know where to grow or what, what to prepare, you can neglect the other things. So I'm not interested in improving the IT infrastructure. I'm not interested in improving maybe the logistics because my perfect investor will have all this in place. But what he needs are maybe my experts. What he needs are maybe the technology I already have in place, maybe in different countries or continents or something like this. So I don't have to look in every detail of my business once I know what the investors is looking for and where, where I should help my business 
to be better. And this is why I say I don't need five to 10 years to prepare your business to exit. We can do it in 18 months or less because we are only focusing on these areas that are good. We will avoid all the deal breakers, that's sure. But then we will focus and yeah, also show the investor why we are good. I'm reading in the show notes that you submitted. You said that no money deals, no money acquisition deals are stupid. So is that from the buyer side, the seller side, or both? No, it's from the buyer side. I see so many ads on Facebook. I will teach you to do that, which is actually good, but it's not the, the right target audience. If you have no business experience and you say you can buy a business, no money down, and then you will have 250K a year in, in profit. For me, it's unrealistic because either you have to put a managing director in that will take down the profit, or, or if you do it by yourself or you have no experience in this industry, the 250K profit will be gone after, after one year or two years you are in the business if you're still there. So for me, it only makes sense to use these strategies if you know that you use this company to leverage your business or you need it as an asset to build value in your business. Otherwise, it makes no sense. To, you, you're buying a job. When I buy a business, nobody don't, even if it works. But I don't want to have a business where the business owners agrees to get no money. So if I tell you I buy your house, but you will get the money within the next 10 years, but I want to live in that right now, I would be maybe thinking about why you agree to that deal. It's interesting as I had, I hosted, you and I met on one of them. I actually hosted twice a month. I host a hangout for mergers and acquisitions, acquisition entrepreneurs, advisors in the space and that type of stuff. And I had a one-to-one with somebody after one of those hangouts. He's really new in the space. He worked for an IT company and he thought he thought he had a, what I refer to as a no money down deal. It was kind of a trucking company that had a software component to it in the logistics space. Their software company was almost making as much as their logistics, a trucking company, right? So, but they, they built it out of necessity. They didn't see something they liked in their industry. So they built something. And then anyway, problem is this guy had never run a software company. He's in IT. He's never run even on his own software division of the company. So he has no experience there, even though he's, a, he's got the nerd qualities. He knows computers. He knows how to run the servers, but to run software development, that's a totally different game. And then he's never had any experience in the trucking in the world. <clears throat> and he said, I think I can get this down with a no money down deal. They have so many assets on the trucking side that are paid off. I can buy the business, leverage those assets to basically take a loan on it and be pretty much zero down out of pocket. I was like, cool. thought about it for a few minutes. I said, now, if somebody called you today and said, you're coming out of the IT field and I've got a job for you, it pays this. He was in a, his take home would have been about 350K a year. And I said, I'm going to pay you 350K a year. I want you to come over and be the CEO of a trucking company and an IT software company they have inside. You get paid $350,000 a year. But if you fail, we're not just going to fire you. We're going to fire all, I think they had 118 employees, all 118 employees, 120 employees. Chances are you're going to get sued and you're going to lose your house and your car and everything you own. Would you take that job? And he's like, well, if you put it that way, no. I said, if you don't think you'll take the job of running the company, why would you buy it? Because that's exactly what you're putting at risk. If you use any type of, it, this is a bigger purchase than SBA, but if you use something like SBA or a lot of other loans, they're going to make you do personal guarantees. Absolutely, right. Yeah. And you're going to guarantee your house. You're going to guarantee that he had a little lake house that his family, it's in his name, his family left him. You're going to guarantee every asset that they can put their fingers on. You're going to guarantee against those loans for that property. 
Now, if, it, if the assets are really valuable, like all the trucks and the trucking, the semis and everything else, you may not have to because you have enough assets to cover the loan. But are you putting your your job, <laughs> the job of 120 and livelihoods of 120 people onto a gamble of something you never ever run? Because his mindset was, I'm just going to go in there and figure it out. So I'm like, well, if you buy it, zero down, it's yours to mess up. Well, that is the beauty of buying a company. It's not yours to figure out and create and grow and scale and figure out if you have a product market fit, it's yours to screw up. So the high probability that you will <laughs> is more so than you than you would like to imagine. So the, unfortunately with that company, he said, well, I'll just hire a general manager. I said, well, in that space, he's in a kind of expensive market. I said, in that space, that's going to be a 200, a GM, general manager, and or a CEO type person, $180,000, $200,000 to run that, right? Now, you're making eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars, hundred twenty thousand dollars. I'm bad at public math. What happens when you have a bat down market, right? Especially in the trucking industry right now, like it's hot and cold with all those lockdowns and shutdowns and all that. They've had some rough spells, right? So anyway, I get the zero down deals can be risky. I think it's very possible. Like I'm looking for stuff like that too, but is like, do I have the expertise to run it? So you either need money. You need the money down, money to pay for leadership, pay for executive coaches and fill in the gaps, or you need the experience. What's your take on that? Yeah. So you can buy these companies. I really like these no money down or no money out of pocket deal structure. But what I don't agree on or like is that it's marketed to people like a product, like a building a funnel, like click funnels or something like this. It is not the responsibility, as you said, is so high because it's not only you losing your money. Maybe you even on, if you only have 10 employees and they will lose their basis to live because the company is gone. Maybe they have a house they cannot move to something somewhere else where they find a new job. So I think the responsibility is not that easy to pay 50 bucks for a challenge or I don't know what to learn how to acquire a company. Uh, from my point of view, these guys, the, the all brilliant minds, I attended some of these courses, should focus on make it more a high-level education product to already business owners. If I see people that were in the course saying, I don't even have 50 bucks uh, available to pay for the monthly tuition or something like this, that makes no sense. How would you run a business? What will you do with the money that you earn there? When I give the guy who has no not 50 bucks in his pocket, 350 a year, you definitely will know what will happen the next year. He will maybe drive a Lamborghini and then the money is gone and the company as well. Yeah, I think that they're, I agree that they're marketing to too broad of an audience. They need to, they're seasoned entrepreneurs. There's something to be said for having skin in the game, doing the startup, having put in the long hours, having not figured it out and having the respect of what that process is to bypass like i'm 50 right i just turned 51 two weeks ago three weeks ago not too long ago and i'm at the stage right now do i really want to build something totally from scratch again i say that i'm kind of building something but when you acquire something you get to you get past that 60 80 hour work week and all that you get to acquire something's run but i know what it takes to do the startup a lot of these guys they just don't know what it takes to to do that and when it comes times in every business every business there will be a time, some point or another, there's going to, where stuff hits the fan. And if you've never been in a startup environment where you got to pull a 60 or 80 hour work week, it's an eye opener for these guys. They acquire something like, wait, what do you mean I can't go to my kid's ball game, right? 
and this is why I'm not that much into the startup area, mm -hmm. startup industry. Because if you see, I had, a, there is an example, it's just a calculation, but if you see a company with four owners, a startup, uh, after six years, they make a hundred million exit. 90% of that goes to the VCs, they back them and the money is gone. So it's 10 million that they will get divided by four, it's two and a half million each. 50% <laughs> goes with the taxes, then 1.25 million is for you net. And then if you say six years, seven hours a, a week, 12 hours a day, it's 47 US dollars per hour. So mm -hmm. somebody on, on Upwork or Fiverr makes more and you dedicated six years and then end up with $47 an hour salary. I think this is not worth it. And this is why I say, you, if you talk to an exit angel before you acquire all these VCs, okay, you could do a lot better. But this is why I said, oh, doing the startup space, it's not my thing. I want to work with the people who already built something, get them over this or get them to the deal that turns their life around. Because once you have the money, you can invest in 10 other businesses. So you can leverage your knowledge, your network can help 10 businesses achieve the growth that you achieved in the past, but without having the stress of working in the operations. So what is your belief in the, like an entrepreneur, he's got his first business. Let's just say it's running well, it's going good, making enough money, he's got a decent lifestyle and stuff. What opportunities open up to have, for that guy to sell that? Is, should a business owner sell or should they continue to grow and hold and run things, that lifestyle business? So my recommendation is sell as fast as you can. Sell, the faster you can sell, it's better. Still trying to get the maximum exit, but don't wait for the next 10 years to come to say, I have so much deals in the pipeline. That's great. Then it will be a no brainer for an investor. If you say I have 5 million in the pipeline, so your investment already will be reduced by 5 million. So give me 1 million out of that as an exit. And then I will have all this stress, all this nightmare out of my way, because then I can say I can invest in maybe five other businesses too, or something like this. Um, without being in a daily business, I can have them grow. I can combine them. So this is why I say I'm not a business runner. Then I'm in, in my business. When you are a business owner, you can sell it, but become a business designer, which means as a business owner, you have your business as a product and looking for a buyer, which is an investor. But as a business designer, you are working with businesses to combine them, to leverage them to find complementary services, to find maybe competitive companies, putting them together to increase the market share, maybe buy a distributor or a supplier to yeah, also increase the profit that you are making. And so you can design a very great thing private equity will love because they see what you're doing. And then they, if they put money in, here's another 500 million. So let's do it on a greater scale. And then we're taking it public and we still double our money. So there's a cascading element of the wealth, right? So if you're a business owner and you can sell and you're running decently, most businesses that are, say, under a million dollars in EBITDA profitable, they can sell for 2x, 3x, 4x. Software companies can go way above that. That's even for the little bitty guys. So if you look at the little bitty guys, you just earn three years salary in a single year. Take that, you, you go out and buy something that's already up running improve upon it, add your 
take on it, sell it for three to five X. And then at some point you're going to be at that level where the PEs are interested in you and like your 10 X. That's when it starts to do that. If you watch the private equity world, they do this on a different scale. They're buying companies, but three, four, five X, 10 X, depending on the, the type of company in the industry and all that, they're growing it exponentially. And then they're selling it to a PE that's playing at the next level up. Right. I've interviewed some guys who'd sold, been the CEO of their company. They sold the PE. They're still, they got retained. So they're still the CEO. That, that company, they worked for a year or two. That company sold to another PE firm, right? They retained a piece of the equity still. Like he sold like 80% the first time. So he, he owned 20% and going into the second PE round. And then they grew, acquired a bunch of, of other companies, grew it massively. On the third time they sold that, it was a billion dollar exit with a B, right? Yeah. Third or fourth time deep. You can play the same game inside of your own small business. You can buy it or you can grow something, sell it, and cascade that money into something. That's what you're referring to, right? Cascading, to, yeah. not, not selling it, retiring it, but really tiring out of it, but selling it, buying something else, multiple things, making them work together, and then scaling that and selling it. So it's a you become a serial acquisition entrepreneur is what you're becoming. Is that what you're recommending? Yeah, yeah. It's not a serial entrepreneur because then you're doing business by business, mm -hmm. becoming a portfolio entrepreneur, meaning you're involved in 10 businesses. And it's the same mindset as venture capital companies have. They invest in 10 startups. They know that eight or even nine will fail, but the one that will make it will cover all the losses they made with the other investments. And the same maybe can apply to you. If you lose your business, all your money, all your life work, all your assets are gone. But if you are invested in 10 businesses and even five will, will not make it, which is unrealistic because they are existing businesses, but still you have still five businesses left that make you your money. And so you can de-risk your own retirement or your own life, your own wealth planning. So you're, you're building your own holding co, right? Your own holding yeah. corporation. Cool. And the other thing is if you own one company, Numbers say it's 80% of your wealth is locked in that company. And with this ultimate payday, you're cashing out. You're monetizing what you achieved so far. And then you can reinvest, but then it's, it's more, um, how do you say that? You can always access the money. If it's in your business, you cannot say, I need 500,000. I want to buy a new house, a new home. If you say, I want to buy something, maybe you sell the shares of one of your investments. So you can play around. I don't like this business anymore. I will take my, my investment out. I will invest in something new. Maybe there's something I want to start from scratch. Maybe I want to take a year off, spend my holidays on a yacht, maybe in the Bahamas. I don't know. So you're totally free with your wealth. And this is what I recommend to people. Just kind of cash out, transform the money you are made, you are making today into money that pays you forever. Because so, this is what, what you can achieve by, by doing so. So liquidity, that's what we call it here. We call it liquidity. So basically yeah. okay. you're making your turning an asset that's tied into like a business performance and stuff to, to a liquid asset so that you can deploy into multiple other assets yeah. and, and investments and stuff. So earlier you mentioned eight essential things or eight pillars or whatever. So what are the eight essential elements of a scalable business? What are those eight? I've put together, I will also share it on my LinkedIn, but the eight essentials, I refer back to my key value driver framework, where I say, okay, these are the, the deal breakers and the deal makers. But when people ask me, how can I create a sellable business from scratch or how can I, what should I focus on? I always recommend them these eight 
essentials. And the number one is having a professional and digital accounting. With a push of a button, you can give the investor or your bank all the KPIs, all the numbers you have inside. So they get a, a very quick view of your financials. This is, I think this is critical if you want to take investments, if you want to talk to investors, that with the push of a button, they see this is professional accounting, everything will be there. So there will be no maybe hidden things in the desk of the owner. So everything is, is monitored and also tracked in the, in the system. The second thing, uh, in our world, data is like oil, what it was years ago. So have a good CRM. And the recommendation is have a CRM that is very well known because it's easy to integrate with other companies. Don't build your own one. Don't buy a cheap one, a small one that maybe helps you on the short term, but on the long term, I don't want to use some names, but if it's a big CRM system that it's easy to integrate into other systems, easy to migrate or whatsoever, this will help you say, you can have access to my clients from the first day we are integrated in your business and don't need to spend a lot of time in, into merging all, all the systems. I had a huge, a huge project in a, in a car manufacturer company we are working only in task force mode to align these two systems to make it up and running. So this is, this is kind of a nightmare. The third essential is automated and digitized processes because then they are scalable. The more people are involved in that, in the processes, I don't say fire all the, all the people and only have systems running. No, free the time of these people that they can think about other things. But all these repeating tasks, all these planable tasks, all these things should be automized and digitized so they are scalable and not dependent on any people doing so. The fourth one, you as the business owner, you have to get yourself off the, off the org chart. That means don't be involved in daily processes. You can still be there and you can still require that people will ask you. Best thing is that you build automated process decision chains in software to say, once this decision is done, an automated email will go to these and that people, because then you say, you can replace my name in this chain with the new owner or the investor, and the chain will still run perfectly as it runs now, even if I'm not in the process anymore. This is crucial because if the investor sees that the business will break down when you are out of the business, then he will never buy it if it's so dependent on you. The fifth thing is build several income streams or revenue streams. That means don't have your own only value chain to say we are providing this and that. Add services, add maybe something recurring, add some things that can be done without your own products. What I mean is doing joint ventures. As I said before, maybe have some complementary companies, complementary services, products that you can also offer to your clients and the other way around that they have maybe clients that could also buy your products but build several things that once the, the main revenue stream is going down because of the economy or whatsoever, you can have maybe some other revenue streams that keep your business up and running. The sixth one is focus on activities and measures that leverage and have impact on velocity. I don't know if you know this name. So these are some key value KPIs that measure how effective you are doing the sales, how effective you are doing, you are running your business. It's not only the ROI per employee, but also see how many leads do I put into the business? What's the conversion rate? What's the, the average revenue for a customer? And how long does it take my team to convert this? And then you can say, whatever I want to do, is this helping improve these numbers? 
any system that I will automize, will this help maybe lower the time to convert? Will this help me to put more leads inside? Will this help me? So you always have something you that you can measure before and after. So you see how successful your, your activity was. And the seventh one essential is you should document almost everything, how you do it and why you do it. If you are creating a new branch in a new location, document the decision-making process. Why you decided to go there? What did you do? What were the steps? What did you do inside? How did you set up this new funnel? How did you do anything? Because if you document it, you can outsource it or you can sell it so uh, somebody else can do it. But if it's all stuck in your business and it's intransparent, how should an investor scale that? How should an investor duplicate that? So the better it is documented and automated, the easier it's for the, for the new owner to scale and even sell it again to somebody else. And the last one is you should build desirable and sellable assets. And in the best case, these, are, these assets should also produce cash flow or other, leverage other assets the investor has. It's because business, if you have a business, you want to make money. If you have a bigger business, you want to make even more money. So these assets should be there to help you achieve that. And the clearer you communicate the assets that you have, and the clearer you communicate the leverage that they can provide to your business, the easier you will get the investments and the investors talking to you. So these are the, the eight essentials that I recommend all these people that are asking me, what could I do at least to prepare my business to be acquisition ready, to be investable and to be sellable at the end. So rattle them off real quick, the eight, just not, not the whole description, just the title okay. of it. So it's the professional digital accounting, it's the CRM data, it's the automized and digitized processes, it's get yourself off the org chart, build several revenue streams, focus on activities and measures that leverage the velocity, document everything and be, build desirable and sellable assets. So these awesome. are the eight. Awesome. So that sounds like a way to, I mean, any business can focus on those, whether they're wanting to exit or whether they're wanting just to run their day-to-day -day operations in a more efficient manner, right? Yeah. So. So that sounds like and that. even if, you, if you're not thinking about selling right now, implement this, and this will also help you build a better business. I love the whole KPI thing. What are the things you can track? They say that that's tracked can be improved upon, right? Anything measured can be can yeah. be improved upon. Too many business owners don't know how, how they got their sales, right? We've interviewed hundreds of different business owners in these roll-ups and stuff that I've been involved in. And we're like, well, how do you get your customers? Well, networking and this and that. It's like, cool. How many lead? How many networking events did you go to last year? And they start, you see them counting in their head. They don't know. So they're visually in their head. You can see them going like back to, I went to this place, this place, and this place. So I know they're going to fill out the next question, which is cool. Out of those five, five events you went to, how many leads did you put in the CRM system? They don't know. A lot of people just, they just don't track that stuff. And if you don't track it, how do you know it's effective, right? But this will also, and they don't track it because it will destroy their story they tell themselves. Oh, I, I'm so successful. I'm running a successful business. Yeah, but how do you do it? And it's, so. if you're running the business, I'll give business owners credit. If you're running your business on a day-to-day -day basis, you're paying your bills or you're growing, there's nothing to be said for, oh, I just, I don't track that stuff right now. But if you ever get to the point where you want to sell it, you better be able to tell the story how it works, right? 
And if you can't articulate the story by in numbers, we attended five. We get most of our business through trade shows and events. We went to five events last year. We got 13 leads out of those. Out of the 13 leads, six of them were ended up in appointments. We closed for the sales cycle took us six months on average from going to the event to close. That should be top of mind for any, especially the sales VP. I can get it sometimes that the CEO doesn't know it, especially when they're doing innovation and growing and doing other stuff. But when I talk to the sales VP and ask the same question, he should be able to rattle that off the top of the head. Yeah. And for the investor, so one of the key value drivers is revenue reliability, which means one topic is it has to be a reliable and repeatable process so that the, the new owner or investor knows you are doing four, uh, four million with four people and it's uh, and repeatable. So I'm putting in 20 people. We are not doing four million. We do a 20 million. And this is how, this is why he should see how you achieve that. Is it by accident that you said, oh, I got one client with 3 million last year. So I know at 4 million, or is it a, a repeatable, reliable process that can be done over and over again? Right. So Inside of that, in fact, if I want to double my numbers next year, I need to either do, like the numbers I just rattled off, you could look at it and go, okay, well, I either have to go to 10 events next year, or I have to improve my close rate or get more leads per event. But you can address, like, you can address that. So I can see, I can see where, like, I'm trying to think of how to articulate this, actually. I can see where having the numbers and having the KPIs and stuff tells a better story. But what it also does is you can't remove yourself from that business until you know that stuff, right? A lot of the reasons these business succeed is because the, the CEO is the center of the business and he just has an instinctive knowledge of when he needs to hustle down and get a bunch of stuff done. It's not because he's tracking. It's not because he got the numbers. He just sees, the, he walks out on the production floor, sees everything starting to slow down. And it's like, well, I better go close some stuff. These guys don't look that busy. And it's always been run by intuition. Intuition doesn't sell. And this is also, for me, the number one reason why business are not sellable or don't get sold is the ego of the owner. Because he, it might be the case that without him, nothing will work. So they don't even think about running the business. It's my baby. Yes, I don't want to sell my baby. <laughs> but it's if it's my business, I can sell this business. I can buy two others and I can be double as good as I am right now. So, But there are a lot of mind shifts necessary to become a serial exit entrepreneur. How do you deal with the ego? Like, How do you deal with the CEO or the reluctance to sell, the reluctance to make changes? You refer to it as ego, but it could be a lot of other titles put on it. But basically, the resistance to change... Honestly, I don't want to say I ignore them, but I don't want to have these discussions. So I would rather help people who say, yes, I want to sell. Please help me do this. Please help me achieve my uh, ultimate payday. Because if I have the resources and the knowledge and all these things, which I need to go for my greatness afterwards, I will do everything right now to achieve that. I don't want to waste time discussing with these people. They will always find a reason why they should not sell. But I want to help these people because I know what to do to achieve that and even faster. So I'm sorry to say that, but usually when I come into a situation where somebody said, I don't want to sell, uh, so you want to work until you die. No, 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 it's not. And it's also fine for me to only, I can sell at any time. I say, yes, you can sell for a dollar, then you sold it. But <laughs> I think not what you want to achieve. But then they say, I just only need a million and not 10. 
And I think this is a definitely a wrong mindset. If you have the chance to sell for 10 million and you only need one, give the 9 million to people who are not that lucky than you to have a business that could be sold for 10 million. So this is what I say. I will give back to, to other people, helping them either invest or learn how to do it and then do the same. Maybe I don't need the 9 million for myself, but I can do so many good things. And if you don't know what to do, just go to a hospital where children are lying in the, uh, I don't know the English word for that, palliative, which means that they are about to die. And then you can see what you can do with the money, spending money there to give them at least a few nice days. So I, I hate the, sorry, I don't like these people that say I'm fine with only a million. I think this is unfair for all the other people who are not that lucky to have a business that could be sold. I get that. And you should, if you've created a business, chances are you spent years, if not decades, failing to maximize it is doing uh, a, a disservice to you, doing a disservice to the business and doing a disservice to all the employees over those years, right? I would venture to say is if you've got a business that's going to sell for $10 million and, and you really only need a million dollars for retirement, then look at the people that have been there for 10, 15, 20 years and figure out how to put some of that money back towards them or do something to where you take care of the people that got you where you are too. Right. So, uh, yeah. And it's, I, I call BS on that, on that sentiment a lot of times. Like that's, a lot of times that conversation comes up because they're just not ready to sell. When you actually talk to somebody that's ready to sell and they're, they've made that call, like, I'm going to sell this now. I haven't seen that conversation. Well, all I need is a million dollars. I'm done. Unless they're so ready to exit, like they've got another project or like there's some life threatening illness in their family and they just need some money to hand over to family. Like if I can leave my family a million dollars when I, when I go, that's all I care about at this stage. It's rare, rare cases, but more often than not, that conversation I've had when they come up and say, well, I'm not ready to sell right now. I was like, oh, it takes a little while to get ready to sell. Well, my business is making $15 million. When I'm ready to sell, I only need two and a half million for, for a retirement. It's not going to be that hard. The first thing is true. They're not ready to sell right now. The second thing is they'll never take 2.5 million or whatever they think they just need. Because when it comes time to it, they're business owners. They're going to want to to do with that then i think that that conversation comes up in lack of motivation to make the exit more so than in the honesty of it another situation when this discussion comes up is when you ask them how can i help you and i don't make it for free for sure and if they have to pay for that then the ego comes in again to say i've built this business i can also sell the business no you cannot it's a totally different skill set yeah, you can sell 10 million business for a million. Everybody can do that. But to really prepare this business and learn how to do it, because once you sell your, you know how to sell your business, how to prepare that, you will become an even better business buyer because you know where to look at. So how to do it again and do it again. You don't need to, to make the 100 million with the sale of the, of the first business, but to do it over and over again, as you said, the cascading effect after that. But when, when it comes to paying a coach to help you, at least for the first exit, this is what I'm focusing on, helping people for the first exit. If somebody has a third, a second, fourth exit, I'm happy to help because then they, they are getting bigger and bigger. But to have, to have this life-changing event, this ultimate payday, and then everything will change. You will leave the, the system and you will get into a, a, another thing where you own the system.
you okay. will own your life. Now you are owned by your business and then you will own your life and can do whatever you like. Cool. Well, we're heading towards the top of the hour. If somebody could only remember two or three things from the show today, what would you want them to remember? I want them to remember, think about exiting your business, even if you don't want to do it right now, because you can build an even better business that will make life much more easier for yourself. I think this is, this is one of the crucial points to say, I need to open up my mind. I need to, to learn things. 1,630 businesses are closed every day in the U.S. alone. So think about the wealth that is gone. Think about the knowledge, all the employees that were now jobless because of your, you and your ego, not thinking about selling the business. And if I say, start with that, learn what it takes. So you also become better to acquire businesses, grow the businesses because you need what to focus on and you don't waste time and money with maybe actions or, or services that are not helpful to grow your business as well. So how do people contact you? If somebody wants to, to work with you, Christian, how do they go about doing that? You could go to christianhack.com. So this is my personal page. But the, the best thing is to connect on LinkedIn. On my LinkedIn profile, just type in the search bar, the exit angel, and I tried it many times. So hopefully I will show up at the top so people can contact me there. But what I also created is because I said not many of these small businesses can afford to pay a top-level consultant. And I want to democratize this knowledge because almost 600,000 businesses close per year in the U.S. alone. There need to be affordable help available. And I created an education platform, which is called Deal Buddies, where I share all my knowledge, where I interview experts to share their knowledge and the, the, the best thing is of the money that you pay monthly, it's kind of a flat rate. It's a consulting flat rate. If you submit a question and within the community, we cannot answer it. We will take the money of all the people that subscribe to this platform and hire the best consultants in the world to answer this question. So you, the only thing you have to pay is your monthly tuition and your monthly fee. And the result will be public that all community members can learn from it. So this will be a really great plat platform where we can learn from each other. And if we don't have the knowledge within the platform, we will hire the best consultants all over the world. And we will also have a lot of virtual assistant assistance inside. So it will not take you a lot of time to find things. If you have a question, talk to one of these guys and he will help you out, find the best answer. It's called so, Deal Buddies. So that's going to be at dealbuddies.com. We'll put the link in the, the show yeah. notes so people can go there. Awesome. So I want to thank you for being on the show today. Hang out for a few minutes after we're done. Do you have any finishing thoughts or ideas? Yes, I hope I can inspire a lot of business owners to go for their ultimate payday and then live the life that they want. Awesome. Well, that's the show. Have a great day. Thanks a lot, Ron. Have a great day. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show, ask questions, uh, suggest a guest, or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline and leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. 
ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace, we have partnered with, has a proprietary database of 50,000-plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software-as-a-service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now